Good morning, good morning church. I'm so excited about today and we're beginning a brand new series called Church Works and I'm excited about what God's going to teach us as we unpack the, the book of Titus and really see God's word come to life. I hope and I pray for all of us. I'm so excited about this because I love God's church. I just do. Uh, the church is the vehicle to accomplish God's work in this world and so as you and I get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, as you and I lock arms together, we are part of something that God uses to impact lives all over the world. World. And it's exciting to me. Uh, last week, many people took their next step in their spiritual journey as we had our next steps time, and we committed for 24 months. And we're going to talk about that at the end of the service, how we're reaching out, we're growing up, we're giving all. But I'm excited to see what's going to happen in the lives of us, but also the lives of others, because our obedience impacts people for the glory of God. Now, in our series last time, we were walking through the book of Ezra, and we were unpacking the Old Testament. I love, I love the Old Testament. I love the history. And we saw that the people that came back from captivity, they were led the first wave, the remnants, they come back led by Zerubbabel, and they rebuilt the temple of God. And they rebuilt in 516 B.C. And then, you know, this wave comes back with Ezra. And they come there and they start to worship and sacrifices, Passover. It's a beautiful time. And then the third wave comes back with Nehemiah. And after Nehemiah, there's 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's called the intertestamental period. And there's 400 years as God is preparing his people. God's preparing his people for what's going to happen, for what will change the world. And sure enough, as the New Testament opens, the Messiah comes, Jesus Christ. And when Christ comes, he changes everything, right? He splits history in two, B.C. and A.D. And you see the impact of Christ in our lives, the impact of Christ in the world, and the joy and the hope and the salvation of Christ. As Jesus lived 33 sinless years, and he died on a cross for you and for me to pay a price we couldn't pay. So that you and I can have a relationship with God through Jesus. This beautiful picture of what God's done for us. Well, after Jesus conquers death, he ascends into heaven. And before he ascends, he says to his disciples, One greater than I will come. And they're like, One greater than you? I mean, what, what is he talking about? And what is he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and descends upon the disciples there in Acts chapter 2. And the church explodes. The church explodes. People are coming to know Christ left and right. The Bible says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And you've got to imagine this time in Jerusalem as people are coming to church, as people's lives are being impacted, as the church is growing. It was such an exciting time. It, you see, the church is not an organization. The church is an organism. It's alive. It's active. It's moving. And God is using his church. Well, if you keep going in the book of Acts, persecution breaks out against the church. The Jews and the Romans, the persecution comes to kind of stop this movement of the way. That's what they called it back then. And when the persecution comes, the people scatter. Many of them left Jerusalem and they go to live with extended family. You just think if something were to happen to you, you know, where would you go? Where would you live? And you would probably go to extended family or friends. And yet as they went, they told their friends and family about Jesus. And they were leading people to Christ. And they were planting churches all over the Roman Empire. Mission trips were happening. And God was moving. If you know world history, you know in about 100 and 200, around that time, there were a couple of major plagues that hit. 
And these plagues came and, and people were so worried about their own life. And in fact, we know from history about one-fourth to one-third of the population died with one of these plagues. I mean, the population of the world. I mean, that was major. And, and what the people would do, the Romans who were trying to squelch Christianity, they would take their, their friends and their family members and they would throw them out on the streets because they didn't want to get the plague. They didn't want to die. And you know what Christians were doing? They were coming along and scooping these people up. And they were taking them back to their own houses and they were nursing them. And they were taking care of them and they were loving on them. So much so that by 306 AD, the first Christian emperor of Rome named Constantine, you see God used his church to change the nation, to change the world, to change this empire. And God's still using his church today. You know, it was churches who started the first schools. It was churches that first started the first hospitals. It was churches that started the first hospice orphanages, centers of higher learning. God has his hand on his church. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And you and I are part of something special. And God says, this is how church works. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Titus. Titus. Titus is in the New Testament, right? Short book, three chapters. It's there in the T section. First and second Thessalonians, first, second Timothy, and then Titus. And we're going to unpack this little book, and man, it's so filled with depth and wisdom. If maybe you have a mobile device with you, you can access the scriptures online at Uversion and follow along with us as we see God's story unfold today. But let's pick up here in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I want to stop right there. This was a letter that was written by the apostle Paul. Now, what do we know about Paul? Well, the first time we see Paul, we go back to the book of Acts, and his name was Saul. And Saul was a guy who was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader, you know, and it was about religion back in that day. And today it's about a relationship with God through Christ. But, but he was a religious leader, he was a religious fanatic back then. And I mean, he was just so passionate about what was happening. And so when the church starts to explode, Saul was like, we've got to stop this. We've got to make sure, and they were kind of working, you know, the Sanhedrin would you know, couple with the Romans to say, this is, you know, insurrection, this is rebellion, we've got to stop. And so one day the church was meeting and they come in and they grab a lay leader, a guy named Stephen, and they take him out in the street and they throw stones at him, they kill him, they martyr him. And it says that the people laid their cloaks at the feet of a man named Saul. So the first time we see Saul is he's persecuting the church. He's trying to stop the church and what God's doing through his church. Well, if you keep going to the book of Acts, we see Saul again as he's walking on the road to Damascus. And he was heading to Damascus to persecute the church that was there in Damascus. And yet on the road to Damascus, he meets God, right? There's this bright light that comes down. Jesus has already ascended into heaven. And this bright light shines. And, and, and Saul hits the ground. All the soldiers with him, all his companions, they're like, what is going on? And this voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now think about how closely Jesus identifies himself with the church, right? Saul's like, no, 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 I'm persecuting the church. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you're persecuting my bride, the body of Christ. His companions pick Saul up. They tear him, carry him into Damascus. 
There's a guy named Ananias, and God speaks to Ananias and says, hey, go over. There's a guy, Saul, over there that I've got a great plan. I'm going to redeem his life. And Ananias is like, I've heard about this guy. He kills Christians. No way. And God says, Ananias, just go. And I'm sure Ananias was scared out of his mind, right? He goes over. He thinks it could be a trap, but he doesn't know. But he meets Saul there, and he leads Saul to Christ. Saul gives his life to Christ. Scales fall off of his eyes. He was blinded, and he is made new. His name becomes Paul, and he makes this missionary trips. He becomes the biggest advocate for the church. He writes over half the New Testament. God uses him in a remarkable way to impact the world for the glory of God. And I notice how he identifies himself, right? He says, Paul, a servant. A servant. See, here's what I wanted to get you today is we're going to talk about leadership and what does leadership look like in the church. But leadership in ministry is always defined by service. Leadership in ministry is always defined by service. You know, maybe at your company or your workplace, you know, it's always defined by power and the next step up and how much money you make. But in ministry, leadership is defined by service. Jesus said, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so as you and I mature in the church, as you and I grow up in the faith, the call is always going to be to serve. The call is always going to be to give back, to invest in others, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to love people like Jesus loved people. Paul says, a servant, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Notice, notice how the apostle Paul identifies himself with Jesus Christ. How, how do you identify yourself? Hi, I'm Jeff. This is what I do. This is my family. You know, we find our identity in so many other things, don't we? But the thing about Paul is he always found his identity in Christ. I've been redeemed. I've been restored. I've been made new. Now don't you know this, that all the time when God is using Paul to impact churches and to go on mission trips and to serve, don't you know all the time that Satan's going, who do you think you are? You used to kill Christians. God can't use you. You ever heard those voices? What do you mean you want to get involved in church? What do you mean you're going to start growing deeper in your faith? I mean, you remember the things you've done? Satan always does that. Somehow the apostle Paul, he just said, you know what, I've been redeemed. I've been restored. I've been made new. Hey, get behind me, Satan, because I am in Christ. And my identity comes in Christ and in Christ alone. Oh, that we find our identity in Christ. Find our identity in what he's done for us, not what we do for him. And that we live in that assurance, in that security that God is enough. It says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time. And at this appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. What he's saying is there's this unification that takes place when you have a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the one who unites us. This is the church. This is people who've made a, a statement. It's ecclesia, the called out ones. The ones who are united in Christ. And then he says, verse 4, to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Now who's Titus? Well, Titus is a Gentile Christian. This is a pastoral letter written, you know, he wrote a letter, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus were pastoral letters that were written to these guys who he had spiritually mentored. 
Paul had done three missionary journeys. He'd gone all over the place, planted churches. He was in prison in Rome. And then after he's released from his first imprisonment in Rome, he realizes, I don't have a lot of time left, okay? The Romans are bearing down on me. Persecution's happening to me. I'm going to be, you know, not here much longer. And so he starts to establish leadership in the church. And to Timothy, he says, hey, first and second Timothy, he says, hey, Timothy, you lead the church there in Ephesus. And to Titus, he says, you lead the church here in Crete and the other churches around. I want you to make a difference there. And so that's what this letter is all about. Here's how church works. Here's how you're called to live it out. And the first thing he tells them, kind of the theme of the letter, is the importance of leadership in the church. He gives them this greeting, right? Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Son. And then he says, the reason I left you in Crete, here's the whole reason. You know, I was spiritually mentoring you. I'm writing you this letter. I'm telling you how church works. But here's the reason I'm leaving you in Crete, was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. Now let me stop right there. He says, you need leadership, Titus. You need leaders around you, and you need leaders in the church. People who are going to step up and use their gifts for the glory of God. He talks about elders in verse 6. He talks about overseers in verse 7. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, he uses the word deacons. All these words are used interchangeably in Scripture for leadership in the church. Have you ever thought about this? Everything rises and falls on leadership. I mean, think about it. If you like your job, it's probably because you got a great boss, right? If you like your job, you probably have a great boss and the company is heading in a great direction or wherever you are. And you like, but if you don't like your job, if you hate your job and you're miserable, it's probably because you don't like leadership. I mean, everything kind of rises and falls on leadership. You think about the leadership for your kid's school. You think about the leadership maybe for your own school. You think about leadership in our city or our community or our nation. You think about leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. You think about the leadership in your own home, in your own family. And so Paul is saying to Titus, and he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says, guys, get leaders around you. This isn't a one-man show. This isn't your kind of deal. You have leaders because God has wired people to lead and to serve. When you ask Jesus Christ to make you the Lord of your life, God places his Holy Spirit within you. And you know what God does? He gives you spiritual gifts. He does. Every one of you. You may say, well, I feel like I got left out. No, you didn't. Everybody has spiritual gifts. And God says, I've given you these gifts so that you can use them to build up the body of Christ. Every person is essential. And so Paul says to Titus, get people around you who will help you lead. I remember when God called us to plant Rolling Hills, and it was 11 years ago, and we had no clue what we were doing, and, you know, we had 15 people, we were meeting in an apartment clubhouse, and, and I was like, you know, what does this need to look like? How do we need to grow? And, and so I looked at 10 different churches all over the country, and, and, and some churches had elders, and some churches had, you know, overseers, and some people had deacons, and some people had, you know, staff, and nobody was wired the same. I mean, there was all 10 of these churches, they were great churches, but everyone was different. 
And, and all of them had some kind of board, board of trustees or something. They're all 501c3. But everybody was different in the way they were wired. And I, I was like, I was so confused. I was like, what do we need to do? And so I called a guy who was like a church consultant. He had planted churches and done all this work. He'd been in ministry for like 30 years. And I said, I need help. I said, I, I don't know what we're called to do. I just, I just know this. God's called us to plant a church. And I know we need leadership. And he said, here's two phrases. Number one, the local autonomy of the church. I said, great, all for it. What does it mean? You know, he's like, he's like you know, every church is separate. Every church is different. And, and some churches are going to be structured different ways. But what the clue is, is that you need leadership. You need leadership. And he said, that's the second phrase, the priesthood of the believer. Priesthood of the believer. Every person through Christ has the ability to have a direct relationship with God because of Jesus the priesthood, the believer, but they also have gifts to use. And so your job and your role is to have leadership that will serve, leadership that will use their gifts for the glory of God. People are wired different. Everybody's got this some kind of gift, and maybe it's administration, or maybe it's organization, or maybe it's leadership, or maybe it's teaching, but everybody, you help people find their giftedness, and the church will thrive. And you know what? He was exactly right. Because that's what God has done here at Rolling Hills. People have stepped up and raised up. A couple of years ago, we went on a, a trip. Uh, our daughter, Kate, who just turned five this past week, she was about to turn two, and so we knew we had one last free flight with her on Southwest Airlines. And uh, so we said we were going to make the most of it. And uh, we went to San Antonio to see my parents, uh, whom I love. And so we got on the plane, and we had a 7 a.m. flight. And so here we are. And if you've ever traveled with small children... I mean, you're like a pack mule, okay? I mean, you like you got a stroller and you got car seats, and we've got three kids, and so we're going through the airport at 6:15 in the morning, you know, and I'm loaded down with all this, and we get to the flight, and Kate is sound asleep, and, and so we, we're coming down the aisles and we're trying to figure out where to sit. Well, Southwest, you're three seats on one side, three seats on the other, you know, and so we've got you know Mabry. And uh, then we've got Grace, and Kate was asleep. And so we were going, okay, do we put a child over here by themselves? We're like, nah, I can't do that. So we put Mabry by the window. Lisa was in the middle. Kate's asleep on Lisa. And then Grace is here, and then I'm on this other side of the aisle. And we thought, okay, we got a maid. Kate's asleep. She's going to sleep all the way to San Antonio. It's going to be the easiest flight ever. As soon as we took off, what happened? Ah, you know, woke up, you know, looking around, going crazy. The rest of them were like, oh, great. This is going to be so the girls couldn't sleep. Lisa and I are trying to pass her back and forth across the aisle. You know, we're pulling out all the Cheerios and the goldfish we can. And then we go to the DVDs, we put it in the movie. And, and so that's working for a little bit. But we're, it's like, you know, wrestling a greased pig. I mean, we're just going like back and forth. We're doing all this the whole time. And, and uh, we were... Those parents and those people, you know, like, oh, great, here they are. And we were just praying, get us there, get us there. Well, right before we landed, about five minutes before we landed, Lisa hands Kate over to me, and Kate just puts her head right here, and she's worn out, and she just goes right to sleep. And she's out. And we get up, the plane lands, you know, I mean, of course, and, and uh, we, we stand up, and this lady about three rows up looks back, and I'm holding Kate. She's sound asleep, so peaceful, and the lady looks back, and she goes to Lisa, you have the most wonderful husband ever. Look how great he is with your kids. Elisa was like, her hair's frazzled, you know. There's <laughs> goldfish everywhere. She's about to go over the seats of this lady, you know. And, and I was like, yes, you know. So, I'm not saying anything right now. And, uh, so, 
<laughs> but I laughed about that because it was so true. And, and you know, we were passive, we were working together, and Lisa, <laughs> but I get all the credit for it. And I thought, oh man, this is going to be good. But you know, the fact is this, <laughs> Lisa loves being a mom. That's her gift. She's incredible and she's wonderful. But so often, you know, I get credit for stuff I didn't even do. And a lot of times around here, people will go, oh, Rolling Hills is the greatest church ever. People are, God's doing these great things. It's awesome. And they're, you must be a wonderful pastor. And I'm like, not really. I mean, I'm just like empowering people to do ministry. I just watch them use their gifts. I just get to see God do amazing things. I love it. I don't know. I mean, we work hard. We give our best. But it's really the people who are impacting. And that's always stuck with me. Because it's all of us together. You see, at Rolling Hills, we have an incredible staff team. I mean, I love serving God with our staff team. They're awesome. And we are called out, right? And many of us have been to seminary, study the Word of God for years. But, but you know what? It's not just the staff. I mean, we have overseers or elders. We call them a board. And we've got nine amazing godly people who step into this role to help as lay leadership of the church. We have a finance and administration team that looks over all the finances, so there's no questions. We, just, we have godly people who step into these roles. We have a land and facilities team. We also have deacons, as it talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We call them A6 guys, because if you go look in Acts chapter 6, the church was growing, and they called out some people who were full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. And so we've called out 87 men in our church who've stepped up to serve the ministry, to serve the body. Then we have lay leaders. We have small group leaders. And if you're a small group leader, a small group host, thank you. You are amazing, and you are serving in an incredible way, and God is using you to pastor a church there in your home, and you're mentoring and discipling them. Thank you. We have children's leaders and student leaders, people who give their time and their energy. I had lunch with a guy today, and, or the, last week, and he was telling me about how much he loves working in the children's ministry. He said, I've been in ministry for, for 25 years. He goes, but my favorite part, I've been in all kinds of places, but my favorite part is working with children. He goes, because I feel like I'm raising up a generation. He goes, and God's doing something here at Rolling Hills. In the children's ministry, in the student ministry, there's something happening. And he goes, that's where I want to invest my life. And I'm like, way to go. High five, you know? I mean, that's awesome. And he is a more equipped and better gifted to do that than I am. And I'm cheering him on. And I'm so thankful. I want you to hear from two of our leaders in our church today, and Harold Pinto, Thomas Hunter, and uh, I want you guys to come on up and just share with us a little bit about leadership of the church and what that looks like. And, and these guys, I mean, they love the Lord. They're serving Him. It's so exciting to see what God's doing in them and through them. Harold is uh, kind of our, the chairman of our board or elders or overseers, and uh, He's an amazing man of God. I mean, he's got his MBA and his law degree. <laughs> he's run Fortune 500 companies. Now he works for Lifeway in the international division. And so he goes all over the world, and China, Brazil, and different places, taking the gospel. Um, but tell me, Harold, I mean, where did this call come from in your life to, to lead and to serve the church? Well, like I told you before, Tom, <laughs> and I'm going to have to go back here to a time prior to uh, Rolling Hills. Mm -hmm. Actually, my father played a significant role on that. He was a committed Christian, and he loved God's church. Mm. So when I became a, a Christian, I learned from him, and I learned from the scriptures, that you cannot love Christ unless you love his church. Wow. And 
So the uh, local church for Regina and me was like uh, an extension of our, our family. Mm. I became a younger overseer, you know, of our first church that Regina and I helped to plant when we were still dating. This was about 40 years ago, you know. So uh, you just uh, developed that uh, love, and when we moved for to Tennessee, and we came to. Uh, Rolling Hills, I mean, we're so happy. I mean, so excited that we have an opportunity to serve, and here we are. So. Mm, I love that. Thanks, Harold. And Thomas, you're just, uh, just an amazing man of God, and you love the Lord, and a great husband, father. You represent a large demographic here, you know, and, but you've grown up in church. But tell us about this call in your life to, to leadership and what that means. Sure. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess my demographic is, is one of the reasons that we're needing more space out there. Um, you know, I did grow up in the church, and much like Harold, I had role models uh, for both parents, and uh, they were very involved in the church. Uh, when Jessica and I joined Rolling Hills eight or nine years ago, at that time, it was very apparent that you didn't have an option to not get involved. Uh, church didn't have, Laura's laughing down here, uh, church didn't happen if it wasn't for volunteers. Um, you spoke about spiritual gifts. Uh, I'm the guy that, that would rather be around a, a, a table discussing the, um, the higher level um, areas of the church versus serving in preschool. But we're all called to serve. Um, and so that, that's where I, I kind of found my, my place in fitting in. And I've just been blessed to be able to serve the men of the church through A6. Um, obviously the impact they're having on their families, but then also the impact they're having on different areas of leadership in the church. Wow. Well, why do you think it's important? I mean, keep talking about that because, you know, we have these 87 men in, in A6 and just why is it important to have leaders within the, within the body? Yeah, I mean, A6 is, uh, you know, really called to do, to do two things. It's to pray over the needs of the church mm -hmm. and support the needs of the church. And that, that is, those are two very simple things, but those are so deep. Um, they really strike a chord with when people are in our presence, in our congregation, we need men and women who step in and support those needs and, and, the, and those prayer requests. Mm. And so these men, and I've often, Jeff's heard me say this, you know, Diego Fua, Joe Hunter, and myself serve in leadership in that, in that cap, uh, capacity. It is not our role to really instruct these men in, 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 any, in any specific way. It's our role to help them continue to be the leaders that they already are, mm. to serve the needs of the church in the ways that they're already doing. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, talk about Harold. I mean, we have this overseer's board or whatever you want to call Why is that important? Well, as an overseer or an elder or a deacon or just a leader, uh, we do need to realize that it's a, an enormous responsibility because you're dealing with the affairs of the church. Mm -hmm. And we need to, cannot forget that uh, eternal spiritual element right. there. So the role will vary depending on, on your gifts or the area of ministry that, that you're serving. But I think the important thing to, to understand is that you cannot perform that role unless you're in a very close relationship with the Lord. Amen. Yeah. But once you're grounded on Him, then it, it is a joy. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, to be able to uh, support the church and work with others, you know, as you uh, encourage them, mm -hmm. as you disciple them, mm -hmm. and sometimes you even exhort them mm -hmm. or exhort each other. So those things are, are very important. Now, as a board member, you do have statutory responsibilities, but I think the, the most important thing for us there is that uh, we are seeking God's direction for the church, and we can be used as a sounding board for you and the rest of the staff. But, you know, this morning, if you're not involved or committed to, to some part of ministry in the church, and if you're not... Uh, in leadership, uh, I encourage you to do that because I would hate for you to be prevent yourself of this blessing, yeah. you know, uh, as as you go through life. It's just uh, wonderful. That's awesome. Well, Thomas, what most excites you as you look at Rolling Hills and what God's doing and where we're going? Yeah, and um, uh, Jeff, that's, it's, everything's exciting. <laughs> it, was, it was hard for me to put a put a um, specific response to that. I'm thrilled about what's happening here with, with, with the Franklin campus. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited about what Jason Hale and mm -hmm. those guys are doing at South Nashville. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about the missions aspect, mm -hmm. the local missions with PATH Project, the mm -hmm. global missions as you hit on with Moldova and Brazil, South Africa. It's all very exciting, but what gets me and what tugs is, um, you know, I shared this in the first service. When I see you guys mm -hmm. uh, you, men, women, families that I've grown up with taking their next step. And, and I see and I look on Instagram and I see people at coffee houses with their daily step book out. And they're committing to two years of reading through scripture. I get excited when Patrick Evans uh, leads out in this section leader ministry. And families are stepping up. Husbands and wives, not referencing you and me, Harold, as husband and wife. Husbands and wives step up together and say, we're going to own a section. I get excited when we're doing financial peace out here. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and my cousin and his wife are part of that. You know? mm -hmm. So as, as we've grown together as a family and as a church, what excites me is what does it look like as more and more people commit to using the gifts that God has given them to serve their local church and the global church? Mm, that's awesome. What about you, Harold? What excites you as we go forward? Yeah, you can't but be excited with the lives that are being changed. Mm. And also with the impact that uh, the Lord is allowing Rolling Hills to have here locally and around the world. Yeah. So that is it. Praise God. Well, thank you guys for your leadership and for all that you do. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Thomas. Great job. It's amazing how God calls out people. And he's calling all of us. If you keep going in Titus chapter 1, it talks about some qualifications for leadership. And it talks about elders and overseers must be blameless. What does that mean? It means that you're a follower of Jesus, right? It doesn't mean that you haven't made a mistake in your life or you haven't messed up. It means that you're blameless because of what Christ has done for you. So are you growing in your relationship with the Lord? It talks about, number two, it talks about your family life. You know, it says, must be the husband but one wife. Does that mean if you're single that you can't serve? No, no, no. Paul was single. Jesus was single. I mean, come on, you know, I know. But what he's talking about is, what do you do at home? You know, with your children, if you go to First Timothy chapter 3, it says, you know, if you can't manage your own family, how can you manage God's church? And there's this responsibility for us that, that leadership starts at home. And so get that. Leadership starts at home. And wherever you live and whoever you live with, leadership starts there. And then number three, he talks about these qualifications of your personal character. Personal character. 
And, you know, you don't do this and don't do that, but you're not overbearing and not giving over to drunkenness and those things. But you are hospitable. You share what God's given you. You love to do good for others in your personal character. You know why? Because you represent the church. You represent Christ. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. But are we striving and growing in our integrity and in our character? And then number four is this, that you're faithful. That you're faithful. You know, it's not that just fly it in, fly it out, you know, just jumping around from place to place. It's like I'm committed, I'm encouraging, I'm growing, I'm helping others grow and learn. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, it was he, that's God, who gave some to be apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors. Why? Why? To prepare God's people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, has anybody here mature? Anybody attained to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Okay, we still have work to do, okay? You know, we still have a ways to go. We're still growing, and we're still becoming. And so God says, use your gifts, church. Encourage one another. Step into leadership, and allow God to work in you and through you for his glory. I just want to ask you today, how are you doing in these areas? How are you leading at home? How are you leading at work? How are you leading at church? Are you investing in those who come behind you like Paul did with Timothy and with Titus? Are are you allowing a new generation to be raised up for the glory of God? Because one day, there'll be other people who are sitting there. They might be your kids or your nephew or your niece. And there might be kids that are over there right now They're sitting here saying, hey, I grew up in church and there was a Sunday school teacher who taught me about Jesus and they prayed for me and they walked with me and now I'm impacting my generation for the glory of God. What you do is important. It's a great privilege, but it's a huge responsibility and oh, that God would find us faithful and serving well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for the truth that we have as you called us out. Father, we pray today that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. None of us are perfect, not any of us here. But God, by your grace and your mercy, you have called us to lead and to love. And I pray that we would do that well. I pray that, God, we would understand that begins at home and it spreads out then to all the facets of our life. And so search our hearts today, O oh God. And call us to be the leaders that you've called and created us to be. Thank you, God, for church and for community. That we can lock arms together and make a difference today for your name and for your glory. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen, amen, amen.